traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. We're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you Hey there, I am your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Wednesday, August the 17th in the year of our Lord 2022 and a welcome back to Declan from a, uh, a couple of days off. Well-deserved young man, welcome back. Just a reminder to check out my website, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T. 30 years in the business and I'm still spelling my last name. <laughs> anyway, therichardserrettshow.com. And you can contact me through the website's contact page, therichardserrettshow.com. So this is rich, really, really rich. And I bring it up because today's Wednesday, of course, we push back against the death cults of climate change on Wednesdays with Tony Heller. And he'll be here this hour. And um, and I'll be talking to him about this. But this is so enjoyable for me that I had to share it with you now. This was retweeted, retweet, <laughs> retweeted, retweeted uh, recently by Patrick Moore. Patrick Moore is the co-founder of Greenpeace. He then quit Greenpeace when he realized 
they were an anti-human death cult. And then Wikipedia tried to erase Patrick Moore from history and took down the historical fact that he, in fact, did co-found Greenpeace. So Patrick Moore retweets this. It's a picture of Plymouth Rock. Right. This is Plymouth Rock is in, in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Plymouth Rock is the traditional site of disembarkation of William Bradford and the Mayflower Pilgrims who founded Plymouth Colony in December of 1620. So it's still on the shore in Plymouth where it was and has been for over 400 years. So what, you ask? Plymouth Rock is still at sea level more than 400 years later. Wait a minute. What about rising sea levels? What about rising sea levels due to the melting polar ice caps, due to climate change? Exactly. It's a complete and utter farce. The ocean levels are not rising. If they were, think about it for a moment. If they were, do you really think former President Barack Obama would have spent nearly $12 million on his seaside mansion in Martha's Vineyard? Hmm? Exactly. Uh, I love this piece of audio from Jordan Peterson, Canada's great philosopher, Canada's eminence grease, clinical psychologist, media personality, author, you know the drill. Was I just channeling Joe Biden there? Hey, you know the drill, man. Come on, man. I'm serious. You know the drill. Anyway, uh, Jordan Peterson, here he is telling the globalists where to go. Well, I mean, how should I say this politely on the radio? Where to go? Fly a kite, I guess. Here he is. We will not advance without resistance through the straits of your enforced privation. We will not allow you to steal and destroy the energy that makes our lives bearable and that produces our food and shelter and housing and the sporadic delights of modern life just to address your existential terror, particularly when it will fail to do so in any case. We will not allow our children to be criticized first for having the temerity to merely exist and then deprived of the prosperous and opportunity-rich future we strived so hard to prepare for them. We remain unconvinced that your frightened and self-congratulatory moralizing and intellectual pretension, ignorance of the limits of statistics and misuse of arithmetic, we do not believe, finally, and most absolutely, that your declared emergency and the panic you sow because of it means that you should now be ceded all necessary authority. So, leave us alone, you centralizers of power, you worshippers of Gaia, you sacrificers of the wealth and property of others, you would-be planetary saviors, you Machiavellian pretenders and virtue signalers, objecting to power, all the while you gathered around you madly. Leave us alone. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful thing. You worshippers of Gaia. Exactly. Jordan Peterson. Now, someone else I admire, Leslin Lewis. She will not be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. But I think she has conducted herself admirably. She's an incredibly accomplished person, an incredibly intelligent person. I believe that she is principled and authentic. I think she's deserving of an important 
cabinet position when Pierre Polyev becomes the next Prime Minister of Canada? If there is a God. So today, she put out this statement, which I'll share with you now. It's about the, the ridiculous and unscientific and incredibly intrusive Arrive Can app which travelers to this country must complete before entering the country, and that includes Canadian citizens. The Arrive Can app, of course, has turned out to be a complete boondoggle, and it is hampering tourism and cross-border business. Here is Leslin Lewis questioning about, or questioning aloud, rather, questioning aloud whether the Arrive Can app may, in fact, be illegal. She writes, We are currently living in a situation where Canadians are not free to enter their own country without completing a form that currently has no legal basis to exist. Worse, Canadians are being fined and threatened at their own border for not submitting private medical information that the government has no right to demand. While the term medical tyranny is mocked by some, it is a fair description of a government that refuses to follow their own law or even the mobility rights enshrined in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The mandatory use of the Arrive Can app while always suspect, now seems completely unjustified in light of the fact that emergency orders have now been lifted. But our government insists in maintaining a quasi-emergency status in order to continue to justify this failed and potentially illegal experiment. Again, this is Leslin Lewis. The Arrive Can app is Canada's travel monitoring response to the World Health Organization's declaration of COVID-19 as a global pandemic. ArriveCan's privacy notice clearly states that it collects personal information in accordance with the Privacy Act. While government officials and border agents pretend that it is mandatory, the truth is that its use should be regu- regulated, or sorry, relegated solely to emergency orders and measures taken under the Quarantine Act. If emergency powers are not invoked, I believe there is absolutely no legal grounds upon which a charge can be upheld for non-compliance with the app. Knowing that our government has already taken part in the WEF's known traveler digital ID program, we talked about that yesterday and we'll revisit that conversation here shortly with uh, John Carpe. Again, if emergency powers are not invoked, I believe there's absolutely no legal grounds upon which a charge can be upheld for non-compliance with the app. Knowing that our government has already taken part in the WEF's known traveler digital ID program, many Canadians are concerned about where this program is headed and what information Justin Trudeau is already sharing with groups like the WEF and other international organizations. There are many reasons to insist on the immediate elimination of the ArriveCan app. Firstly, there is no quantifiable emergency that makes it mandatory under the Quarantine Act. Secondly, Canadians have a constitutional right to enter their own country by showing a valid passport to border agents. Any interference with that right must be substantiated. Simply saying it helps is not proof. Thirdly, Canadians have not been properly informed about the known traveler digital ID program, how ArriveCan relates to this program, and to which international organizations and institutions the information of Canadians is being submitted. Finally, It is very likely that the fines for non-compliance with downloading the app are a form of harassment and have no legal form or effect. Leslie Lewis continues, I have been unable to find any precedent in a court of law where the courts have found guilty a healthy person under the Quarantine Act. Even more elusive are precedents under the same act 
or the Contraventions Act, where governments insist on national quarantine policies where no emergency exists. The continued mandatory use of the ArriveCan app and the fines being levied against Canadians who refuse its use amount to governmental bullying and harassment. The app's privacy statement makes it clear that it is mandatory nature that its mandatory nature can only be enforced during an emergency. So I repeat, we currently are under no emergency measures. Therefore, the mandatory requirement for the app is an infringement on our freedoms and constitutional rights. Section four of the Quarantine Act states that it is invoked to take comprehensive measures to protect the public. Where is the data to support the comprehensive measures and the use of the app? She writes, I have made a petition to demand the government end this experiment, respect the privacy and rights of its citizens, and cease their medical tyranny. Wow, Leslie Lewis. Excellent, excellent essay. That should be a full-page ad in the National Post. All right, uh, speaking of the World Economic Forum's known traveler digital ID program, which the liberal government has adopted. John Carpe, president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, uh, is next to discuss how Trudeau's planned digital ID infrastructure is leading this country towards a communist China-style social credit system. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, August 17th. Facta, non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. The government of Canada has announced it's working on a new federal digital identity program. They've partnered with Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum to help develop a global ID system. And John Carpe is president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. He's sounding the alarms on this digital ID infrastructure. He says it's a threat to charter rights and a step towards implementing a communist China style social credit system. John, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good to be with you. So what do you say to people now uh, that, that still think, you know, oh, the WEF, uh, they have no undue influence in Canada. That's just a conspiracy theory. Well, the World Economic Forum is real. And people who doubt that can go to its website and see what it what it talks about quite openly about its goals and objectives and whatnot. Uh, that's worthwhile reading. Um, you've probably heard the story of the boiling frog. Mm-hmm. The story is told that, that if you put a frog in cold water and um, if you put a frog in hot water, it'll immediately jump back out to save its own life. But if you put a frog in the cold water, put the pan on the stove and heat it slowly, the frog will just boil to death. Somebody told me that was not scientifically true, but it's a good story for, you know, a parable on um, how this little by little by little uh, loss of rights and freedoms can be dangerous. So the problem with digital ID is not, you know, in and of itself, I mean, gosh, you know, if the the bank wants to have a a QR code, uh, okay, fine, the bank has my banking information. The gym might have my gym information, how often I go and work out. Your medical Uh, records are now digitized. Yeah. And even, you know, and if my airline wants me to use a digital record in and of itself, that's not a problem. Where the problem comes in is if the governments centralize that and if the governments have access to more than one database. So currently we have a healthy situation, uh, separation. So the police, they can look up and see if you have a criminal record or not. 
and they might be able to look up and see if you're got firearms at your place, or at least if you're registered as a firearms owner. But beyond that, the police cannot get into your banking, your spending, your travel, your health, like nothing. And that's the way it should be. And the same way that the doctor might be able to look into a medical database, but the doctor cannot know about whether or not you have a criminal record. Um, So as long as there is that separation, uh, we're generally okay uh, because whether it's digital or paper, that doesn't matter. The scary part is when you've got what appears to be a move towards the centralization of the data such that the government can look up uh, Richard Surratt. And in one location, they know whether or not you have a criminal record. They know your health information, what your health issues, possible treatments, medications, uh they know your spending, uh, they know where you travel. If that's all in one place, that's scary because now the government can really exercise extreme control over you that the government cannot exercise if those databases are all separate. Right. And it's not just the Canadian government. This is the plan is for a global collaboration. This is going to be a global identification system. So, uh, you know, does that mean that uh, the regime in communist China also would have access to this and other places? So this it's called the known traveler digital identity. And it's kind of a the pilot project. There are certain airports. There's just a couple countries. Of course, Canada, you know, will rush to the front of the line. They want to be involved. The Netherlands. Uh, so these these various airports, Montreal, Pearson, uh, KLM Airlines, I believe Air Canada. So how is this going to be rolled out initially? Do we know? We don't know, but we do know that already in Canada, the digital ID was abused with the vaccine passports, where if you didn't have the correct QR code on your phone, or I, I guess they were accepting pieces of paper from from some people, but just this whole notion that You have to give your personal private medical information to a total stranger uh, in order to be a first-class citizen who has access to restaurants and uh, stores and gyms and movie theaters and airplanes and trains, et cetera, et cetera. And these vaccine passports were in force for a long time, even after the vaccine manufacturers had stated publicly that the vaccines does not stop the spread It'll provide personal protection to the vaccine recipient, but they don't stop the spread. And we knew that that first Delta and then Omicron was spreading out and about in spite of, you know, 70 percent or 80 percent, 90 percent of the people being vaccinated. So there is zero science behind it. And yet the government's said, if if you uh, don't disclose personal private medical information, you're a second class citizen. So I think people have to remember that. Um, this is so ripe for abuse. And if you have a government that obviously, uh, and I speak here about the federal and provincial governments, if they're not following the science on vaccinations and COVID, uh, why would you trust them in the future to have that much control over you? I think I think Canadians have indicated that they don't. They basically, by and large, said no to the federal contact tracing app. Uh, the privacy commissioner has expressed very deep concerns about uh, arrive can. Uh, so, uh, I mean, is this going to be um, even when it's rolled out as a pilot project? Will it be mandatory if you want to get on an Air Canada flight out of Pearson to have this digital ID? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I could see a government making it mandatory. With the vaccinations, uh, with the COVID vaccines that were rolled out in in uh, May, I believe it was the month of May 2021, and by June, July, you know, 70% of the people had voluntarily taken the uh, this vaccine. We were promised that this would give us uh, herd immunity. And then in September, barely, barely two months later, uh, we've got second-class citizenship imposed on, on any person that's not willing to disclose personal private medical information to a total stranger. So I think what'll, the, the technology is probably unstoppable. I mean, I want to be realistic here. Uh, you know, if there's, if there's more convenient ways for people to uh, whatever, do their banking or, you know, book a flight or uh, vote online in the future, um, the technology is probably like a, a, a moving train that you cannot stop. What we can stop is governments uh, creating central centralized database where every individual, the government has all of that separate what is currently separate information, criminal record, yes or no, medical, yes or no, travel, yes or no, what you spend your money on, where you go, what you do, it's all separate. Yeah. Uh, what we can object to is is to have the information centralized in one place because that's going to lead us to a Chinese communist style social credit system, which basically is a totalitarian hellhole, uh, if I can be so blunt. All right. Well, forewarned, forearmed, John Carpe, president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. When we come back, a Kingston city councillor says it's time for the statue of our father of Confederation, Sir John A. MacDonald, to stand by his grave. That story's next. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Welcome back. Last year, in the uh, wake of the discovery of what appeared, at least on the surface initially, to be unmarked graves, they weren't mass graves. It's arguable that that they were not even unmarked. Um, They were known cemeteries. However, we all bore witness to the hysteria that ensued churches being set ablaze woke mobs tap uh, toppling statues and in the city of kingston hometown to the father of confederation sir john a Macdonald, the statue was removed from the town square has remained in storage ever since and now a, a city councillor in kingston jeff mclaren says it's time for sir john a's statue to stand by his grave he joins us now hey jeff how are you Hi, good. Thank you for having me on. 
So the um, the grave, the graves um, that where Sir, Sir Johnny's remains are now. This is uh, is it Cat- a Cataraki Cemetery. Yes, that's correct. But the um, the headline was a little off. Uh, it would have been clear to somebody who lives in Kingston. It was at the biggest park in the downtown, and it was proposed to be moved there at a later date. The Cataract Bay Cemetery has refused the statue, and so now we I'm calling that it be put back up in its original location. Ah, so not by his grave, but in in the in the park near the city center. You would like it to be uh, exactly. Okay, so yes. did the uh, uh, Cataraki Cemetery, did, did they give a reason as to why they didn't want Sir Johnny's statue by his grave? They gave the reason that it didn't seem to fit in the, uh, in the location or in the ambiance of the place. All right, so they weren't objecting to it uh, necessarily based on um, a, a politics. They just felt it, it wasn't well suited to the surrounding or to the, the purpose of the cemetery and so forth. Yes, that was their official view. Um, I suspect that there were a lot of people who have um, plots in the cemetery who did not want it there uh, for fear of vandalism of other places. It has been a target of vandalism in the past. Right, right. Uh, and so it has remained in storage. Um, and you've, you've brought this to city to, work, to city council. Are you proposing um, a vote on, on this to restore his statue to the, the park? I will hope to do that. Right now, we are in lame duck session, so we cannot uh, we cannot spend more than um, uh, fifty thousand, I think, and it may take more than that. I hope to do that in the next term after the municipal election. What are you hearing from your constituents, uh, Jeff? Uh, would they like to see the statue um, re-erected at the park? Yes, overwhelmingly, uh, it's. It should never have been taken down, and uh, many, and uh, most people would like to put it back up. Um, there's a bit of a debate on how long it would take, uh, how long we should wait, what's an appropriate time of mourning for um, the, well, the original cause of this was, of the, uh, of the original cause of all this hysteria was the uh, unmarked graves that were found, and perhaps we must brush too quickly, but now having taken it down, it's, it's kind of a respectful thing to do, but it's time to... It'll soon be time to put it back up and start reflecting on the history. What is the mood of your your uh, fellow councillors, Jeff? Are they on side with this, or are you anticipating a, a, a battle, so to speak, in, in city council? <laughs> uh, I guess it depends on the new lot. Uh, there's uh, six of us who are not going to come back because they're not re- seeking re-election. I was the only one who voted against taking it down, so I suspect that there'll be, um, there'll be some debate. Uh, but we'll see. Um, we did get a lot of emails and calls uh, expressing an opinion against our vote to take it down. And um, I hope that uh, that's what they remember. Well, Jeff, um, I, I applaud your uh, your courage standing up to city council being the lone vote against taking the statue down. And we'll watch with interest. And hopefully uh, we know with the, the change in makeup of city council after the upcoming elections, uh, there will be sufficient votes to uh, to place Sir John A., the founder of our country, back in its rightful place. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Jeff McLaren, Kingston City Councillor. All right, when we come back, we push back against the cults of climate change. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com, is next. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Cult of Climate Change on The Richard Serrett Show. 
Welcome back. Check out the new website, therichardserrettshow.com. The hypocrisy of the loony left and the cult of climate change never been more apparent uh, than with this story. Scotland, the site of the recent United Nations 26th Conference of the Parties or COP26 Climate Summit, has cut down 14 million trees to make room for, you guessed it, New wind power installations, 14 million trees. Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Uh, very well. And uh, just trying to contain my laughter. I mean, it's not it's no laughing matter that, you know, 14 million beautiful trees cut down. Um, just give me your overall uh, your, your thoughts on on this. And because I, I, it speaks to this, you know, the larger issue of. Uh, these so-called sustainable um, energy options not being particularly environmentally friendly. Yeah, when, when they um, install a wind turbine, um, they, they have to put in a massive amount of concrete underground in order to keep it from tipping over. So they, they excavate a huge hole and pour huge amounts of concrete and then they put up this gigantic mass and the turbine on top of it and um, typical life of these turbines is about 20 or 30 years. So 30 years from now, we're going to have these huge um, wind farms with where we've done massive amounts of environmental damage, cut down trees, built these giant monuments, which will never be cleaned up. They'll just stay there. And with this giant concrete footprint, the ground has been altered and, and ruined for for thousands of years into the future. So, yeah, they're doing a huge amount of damage with this for something that's very temporal. And I, won, uh, and I don't know if it's still standing, but um, a few years ago, at the southernmost point of the United States, in Hawaii, there was this gigantic wind farm um, from the 1990s or something, which had rusted out, was not functional, and it's huge eyesore. And um, this is, they had this idea that the wind blows a lot at that point. It would be a good place to put it. So they created electricity for a few years. And now they've got a gigantic um, eyesore in one of the most beautiful places in the United States. So, again, Scotland cutting down 14 million trees in order to make room for uh, new wind power installations, 21 wind turbines basically 14 million trees for 21 wind turbines and as this article um, points out the uh, the tree removal seems especially ironic given that the world leaders at that summit in scotland supposedly agreed to end deforestation by 2030 (laughs) all right um Quickly, uh, I just want to get your comments. The story, uh, Patrick Moore, the co-founder of Greenpeace, uh, retweeted this story the other day. Plymouth Rock, of course, the site where the pilgrims supposedly uh, disembarked in, uh, uh, in Plymouth Harbor in Massachusetts. It's still pretty much exactly where it was in 1620. Uh, the point being that it's in the harbor and it's still above water. So what are your thoughts? Well, if you look at the official NOAA tide gauge um, for Boston, it shows that 
sea level is rising at a lower rate now than it was in 1950, and that the rise rate is below all of NOAA's sea level rise scenarios. It's below their lowest scenario. So, in other words, there is no indication that humans had any impact on the rate of sea level rise in New England. And, in fact, um, the, the, sea, the apparent sea level rise, which they're seeing, is actually caused by land subsidence rather than the oceans rising. And, you know, Barack Obama spent, dec- you know, decades fear-mongering about sea level rise, and that was, it, it threatened everybody on the coast. And then as soon as he got out of office, he bought a, a, a mansion in, in, in Nantucket, at Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, which is just above sea level, it's a beach home, um, and it's now worth $20 million. So after, after fear-mongering about sea level rise, he, he went and bought a home, $20 million home on the beach in Massachusetts, which is um, what, what Patrick Moore was talking about. So obviously, Barack Obama doesn't believe any of the nonsense he's saying. And he also just bought another $10 million mansion right on the beach in Hawaii. So he's got about $30 million invested in places which, if sea level was actually rising, as he claims, would be underwater and would become worthless. So it's pretty clear he doesn't actually believe any of the nonsense which comes out of his mouth. Go figure. Hypocrisy. That is the uh, the the, uh, the watchword when it comes to the uh, the green uh, left. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about the Arctic still refusing to melt as ordered. Tony Heller, founder of Real Climate Science, stays with us as we push back against the cult of climate change right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga 960 AM. Wednesdays, we push back against the cult of climate change. Tony Heller is an environmentalist and founder of RealClimateScience.com. And uh, one of the uh, the stories on your website, uh, Tony, is how the Arctic still refuses to melt as order. Tell us about it. Yeah, I wrote my first um, article about climate this week in 2008. And it was prompted, it was in the register um, website. And what prompted it was there was a, a lot of predictions being made by high-level people in governments around the world, including Canada, the United States, um, and, and several other countries, um, that the Arctic was going to be ice-free or the North Pole was going to be ice-free that summer in 2008. <coughs> And it was obvious to me that these predictions were ridiculous. So I wrote this article, Arctic Refuses to Melt as Ordered. And um, so now, so 14 years later, I wrote a follow-up to that article. This summer, Arctic melt has been extremely slow. And the extent is higher now than when I wrote that article um, 14 years ago. It's small. It's about the same. Arctic ice extent is just a little bit lower now than it was on the same date in 1990. And there's a lot more ice this year and around Siberia than there was in 1990. Uh, melt is very slow. The temperatures over the Arctic Ocean have already dropped below freezing, 
so there's not going to be much melt, and this summer is shaping up to be a complete disaster for Arctic warmth. Of course, the press is still lying about it, claiming that the Arctic is melting, but it's pretty it's pretty likely that ex- the, the minimum extent this summer um, will be the highest since at least 2006 and probably earlier. Um, the extent is considerably higher now than it was 20 years ago in 2002. So it'll be interesting to see how much line and how much spinning the press is doing to cover up this you know, fake Arctic alarm, you know, Arctic melting story, which they've been pushing for decades. Well, they'll uh, they'll simply um, try and distract us, uh, divert our attention by saying, "Well, never mind the Arctic ice. Look over here. Uh, you know, look how look look at Lake Mead. Um, it's uh, you know, it's we're in the midst of the worst drought in in human history. Um, we are well. There there have been periods in the in the Earth's history when both the North and South Pole were ice free." Um, so right now we're, I guess we're considered to be in an interglacial period. <clears throat> they will be ice free again at some point, won't they? Um, probably. The, um, around the time Stonehenge was built, the Arctic was likely uh, ice free at times. And I'm pretty sure they weren't using sport utility vehicles at Stonehenge. So, yeah, probably not. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Lake Mead, I know we didn't discuss um, off air talking about this, but I just uh, I realized, you know, everyone's talking about Lake Mead and how, you know, as the water recedes, all of these um, uh, human remains are are popping up. People are flooding to Lake Mead. uh, I don't know, to see if they can recover the body of Jimmy Hoffa or some, you know, ancient uh, sunken city. What is going on with Lake Mead? Well, I'm actually about to make a video about that this afternoon. Since uh, Lake Powell was built in 1962, the Glen Canyon Dam, um, there's been a massive population increase in Colorado and Arizona and California, which are the three states that use Colorado River water. And so huge, huge amounts of water in Colorado have been diverted from the Colorado River drainage across the continental divide to tunnel to Denver and the Front Range. So a lot of water is being diverted there. Huge amounts of water are being diverted out of the Colorado River into um, central Arizona as part of the Central Arizona Project. So we're using a lot more water. We're pulling all of this water out of the, the Colorado River now, which used to flow down through. So the combination of that and being in a drier period. The 20th century was the wettest century of the last thousand years in the West. We're in a drier period now, and we have humans using a lot more water than 60 years ago. So the the combination of the drier weather and the massive amount of water usage for farming and for cities and golf courses has depleted the amount of water in the Colorado River. So the lakes are dropping. I'm sorry, I'm going to be making a video discussing that later today. Tony Heller, realclimatescience.com. Look for the, the video there, realclimatescience.com. Um, just very quickly, uh, we were speaking earlier about the hypocrisy of the uh, the cult of climate change and the, uh, you know, clearing 14 million trees in Scotland to make room for 21 wind turbines. Uh, there's an article 
at Euronews.green talking about these lithium extraction fields. Of course, lithium is an essential ingredient uh, required to make the batteries for electric vehicles. So these lithium extraction fields in South America, uh, recently captured by an aerial photographer in uh, in stunning high definition. And when you look at these, um, uh, I mean, they're just, they look toxic. I don't know. Uh, they, they say that if a bird were to land on one of those uh, extraction fields and, and make contact with a liquid, they'd be dead in 10 minutes. Um, what can you tell us about the uh, the environmental potential environmental damage caused by these these lithium extraction fields? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. You know, a lot of the principal chemicals used in batteries are, are toxic. And, you know, if you get a lithium-ion battery shipped to you, there's a warning right on the box saying that it's explosive. So it's, they're explosive, they're toxic, um, they, they wear out. We're going to have a huge waste disposal problem for these materials right? in the future. Mining them is very environmentally destructive. And a lot of it's done by what essentially child slave labor in Africa. So socially, the, the, the people pushing that these green technologies are extremely irresponsible. They're creating massive environmental and social problems. And you know, they, they try to advertise themselves as, as being these wonderful humanitarians saving the planet, when in fact they're doing huge amounts of damage. All right. Yeah, the article goes on to talk about how these lithium extraction fields inevitably harm the soil and cause air contamination. All right. Tony Heller, founder at RealClimateScience.com. You can check out his videos there also at uh, BitChute, NewTube and YouTube. Tony, always a pleasure. Have a great rest of the week. Yeah, thanks. You too, Richard. All right. Hour two awaits when we come back. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of our good friends at Rocklink Investment Partners, will be here. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at 
hour two. And if you missed hour one, where were you? What are you thinking? The show starts at four. You were missed. Uh, but don't despair. You missed a lot, but there's still plenty of great programming coming up in hour two, including former Clinton political strategist and commentator Nick Morris. Now a, um, a staunch mega Republican and uh, the author, the New York Times bestselling author of The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. And Dick Morris will be here uh, to talk about the, uh, I guess, the weaponization of the Internal Revenue Service. Why should it be any different than the DOJ and the State Department and the FBI? Well, the IRS is going to be given $80 billion, $80 billion over the next 10 years to hire 87,000 new IRS agents. 87,000. And Dick Morris says that uh, more IRS agents means, well, they're meant to intimidate particularly, well, we know who they're meant to intimidate, Trump supporters. Uh, Right now, great pleasure to welcome back uh, to the program the uh, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, uh, one of our uh, valued sponsors here at Saga 960 and uh, great uh, supporters of this program, Jonathan Wellam. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Richard. Good to be back on the show with you. Likewise. And uh, for the last three months, I've been extolling the virtues of, you know, people getting out of uh, mainstream investment advice. And um, also this week, we, we, we just announced the, uh, the launch of something called the Kokomo Fund at Rocklink Investment Partners. So just help us unpack that a little bit. What is the Kokomo Fund all about? Sure. Uh, We're very excited about um, launching the Kokomo Fund really just in the next couple of days, just finishing the paperwork on it. We also like the name Kokomo. We we had a little bit of fun with the Beach Boys, one of my uh, more one of my favorite uh, uh, bands, I guess, and uh, fun, fun loving band. And uh, as the people, if you if you know that song, Kokomo means somewhere off the Florida Keys. And uh, so we're having a little bit of fun with that. But what this is, basically, it's an offshore fund. So it allows Canadian investors in a reasonably bite-sized chunks. Uh, the minimum is 100000 U.S., but in reasonable chunks to be able to invest in a high-quality investment portfolio um, based in the Cayman Islands. And so that's that's important because um, the Cayman Islands is uh, it's a British overseas territory, which means it has a very strong history of rule of law, uh, private property protection. And, uh, and a lot of people don't realize that about 60 to 65 percent of all investment funds, uh, hedge funds and other very sophisticated funds are actually registered in the Cayman Islands. So it's really known as a financial hub, financial center. And so after the Emergencies Act, as we've talked about before, uh, a lot of Canadians are very concerned. We're very concerned. We do not don't trust uh, many of our banks, uh, given the let's see, given the decisions they're making. And so we thought that we would actually uh, make it easy for investors to move money into uh, the Cayman Islands so that they're, it's more at arm's length 
uh, to the uh, governing authorities here in Canada. And so there's a lot of interest in the in the product, a lot of interest in the fund. And as I've said, what we've tried to do is just have it is a very high quality, uh, long only fund, which means we're just taking very disciplined in positions in high quality companies, uh, reasonable diversification, 20 to 25 companies. And uh, and that's going to have liquidity. That's also very important for investors so they can go in and out every month. There'll be monthly liquidity. And um, yeah, and uh, and, be, and just be able to keep money a little safer uh, in terms of uh, government overreach, as we've talked about and as you talk about in your show. I mean, governments and the expansion of the state is just nonstop. And uh, we have to we have to be more creative in terms of how do we protect ourselves. The Kokomo Fund uh, to be launched formally just in a few days. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, is here. So when we think of offshore money and we think of, you know, the Panama Papers that were released a few years ago, Mm -hmm. exposing people that were uh, hiding, um, you know, illicit funds, I guess, offshore. Uh, I mean, why does it have that that stigma? Like when you have money offshore, what what does that actually what does that actually mean? What are the practical implications? Yeah, it's, that's an excellent question because a lot of times when people hear off. Whoops, some, uh, Jonathan, I think you did you mute? Did he mute himself or Swiss go. bank, Swiss bank accounts, things like that. Right. And and um, the um, oh, are you hearing me? Uh, yes, I am now. We just lost you for about three seconds there. You're back. Yeah. So so when you when you hear the offshore, often that throws people off and um, they think about tax havens, hiding money, things like that. That is not the case um, when it comes to the Cayman Islands. They're highly, highly regulated. This is not about tax evasion or getting out of taxes. This is strictly about putting these assets in a different jurisdiction regulated um, in the Cayman Islands for asset protection, for asset protection. Um, In the past, yeah, there have been um, offshore jurisdictions where people have taken advantage or hidden money, things like that. This has no, nothing to do with that. Absolutely not. Um, Clients will be put through a process to sign up. They'll go through all of the they call it AML, all of the um, anti-money laundering uh, rules and regulations and so forth. And so this has been this this fund, our legal counsel on it is BLG, Borden, Ladner, Gervais. We've got the top minds on it. Um, and so this is all about asset protection and not tax avoidance or anything like that. So it's very, very important to lay that out. A lot of that is just I think just uh, uh, just comes from the past and movies and different uh, connotations and, uh, and, and, you know, things that people have heard about in the past. This is that has nothing to do with this particular fund at all. None. And as we've been saying, you know, people tend to think of having money offshore as uh, that's a luxury for the, the ultra rich. Now, the the, uh, the minimum requirement is one hundred thousand U.S. Uh, how is the how is that arrived at? Why? Why a minimum? Yeah, that's, again, a great question. Um, In the Cayman Islands, that's the minimum for what they call an accredited investor or sophisticated investor. And that in Canada, we also have similar rules. And typically it would be 100 or maybe $150,000 in certain income requirements. They do that because um, we're going in under that that, uh, regulation because it allows us to simplify a lot of the paperwork and the regulatory um, aspects of it. So it keeps the cost of the fund down when you can get reasonable size and so that's a that's a regulation uh, that is rooted in the cayman islands and uh and so that's that's why we're following that so they call that again a credit investor sophisticated investor rules yeah 
Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of our good friends at Rocklink Investment Partners. Uh, you know, a, a number of jurisdictions around the world now offering a um, permanent residency. Some call it a golden visa for a minimum investment. It may it may be real estate, or it could simply be investing a certain uh, amount of funds in one of their financial institutions. Does the Cayman Islands have anything like that? And would an investment like this qualify for a permanent residency? No, it will not qualify. And uh, you're quite right. There are a number of countries that have uh, uh, investment uh, parameters uh, into their country or cash investments that will give you permanent residency. The Cayman Islands does have that program, um, but typically you'd have to put a million dollars Cayman. uh, Cayman, uh, And so you'd have to gross that up by 60%. So about 1.6 million uh, Canadian. And that you, you can do in investments down there, real estate, this investment, um, we have not looked at in terms of qualifying towards that. Um, the good question, though, we could we could uh, do a little more work on that. But this typically wouldn't be um, an investment would qualify. So it'd be land in Cayman or business in Cayman um, or Cayman based stocks. Um, they have different a couple of stocks that you can invest in. So the Cayman Islands is um, is a place where you can get permanent residence, um, but it's not as easy as some of the other countries. And uh, in the in the Caribbean, there's a number of other places that uh, investors could look at. I do think that having a backup passport or a backup uh, uh, residency can be very important. If you need to get out of Canada or you want to go somewhere, it's nice to have a, another passport that can give you that flexibility. And, and a lot of Canadians are immigrants, so they can maintain their passport status from previous countries. And uh, I would recommend highly that they do that. You want the flexibility. You never know what can happen in your home country. If you told me some of the things that we've seen in Canada since uh, Justin Trudeau has been elected in 2015, I, I, I wouldn't have believed it. And, uh, and what, again, you're talking in a few moments to Dick Morris and you've seen the transformation of Dick over the last number of years and what's happening in the U.S. right now with, you know, this attack on taxpayers with the IRS. It's unbelievable. So this expansion of the state um, is not going away anytime soon until we can really change the, the you know, our, our direction. People speak up and uh, we change the politicians uh, dramatically. All right, we'll take a quick time out, come back, and we'll talk about some other ways that we should or other actions we should be taken to uh, taking to protect our wealth from government overreach. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners. If you want more information on the Kokomo Fund, give them a call, 905-631-5462, or drop them an email, info at rocklink.com, info at rocklink.com, rocklink. R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Jonathan, um, we were talking about the Kokomo Fund and then we, we were discussing, you know, exit strategies. Always important to have a plan B and, uh, you know, an extra passport. Uh, you know, not that we don't love this country and that we're, you know, we're here, we're fighting for it. But, you know, it's just prudent to have uh, a plan B. What are some other ways that we should be protecting our wealth right now from government overreach? 
Yes, I mean, there's a number of things that people can do, and and some of the some of the things that people can do, um, it is easier clearly if you have a higher net worth. There's no question about that. But I think uh, the first thing, first principle, everyone should think about is diversify. You have to have your assets in a few different buckets. You don't want to be in too many buckets. Sometimes people can over diversify. But what I mean by that is they should have, um, is if possible, an investment in land, so they have some real estate. They should have some uh, hard assets. Uh, when I talk about hard assets, I think uh, a small amount. I'm not talking about a large amount, but of physical gold and silver. I would have a you know couple percent of your financial assets that can be very helpful if you have to barter if things come along and uh, you're cut out of the uh, cutting cut out of the monetary system, which we've already seen happen. And uh, with digital currencies coming down the pipe, uh, might even be more interesting in the future. And um, have some stocks. And um, and of course, the stocks should be very carefully selected and um, very you know well run companies with uh, good hard asset backing, good collateral collateralization, and so forth. And then um, and people can own some bonds. I mean, the interest rates have come up a little bit, although uh, inflation is also high. So your uh, the spread is uh, certainly not that attractive. But uh, the one thing I would caution is don't have a lot of money just sitting in the bank, like in savings accounts or even GICs. Be careful. Those are those are investments that can be bailed in by the bank. In other words, if the bank is into financial problems, then if you own a GIC, bank GIC or a savings investment and it's above the secure, you know, the insured amount with the Canadian Deposit and Insurance Corporation, they can actually take that money and convert it to equity in the bank if they're having trouble, which is not a good thing. So people need to watch out a little bit if there is financial crisis uh, about bail-ins. The other thing that people need to do then, if they can, is to try to put some of their assets outside of Canada. So can, can they own a piece of property in the States? Maybe they can own a commercial property. Maybe they can go into a, a partnership with other investors. Again, own some things outside of your own home country. Be very careful going outside your own home country. Make sure it's a country that respects as best as possible private property, rule of law. It's got, um, yeah, you know, so there's going to be some protections there for you. Uh, a business outside of the country where you can make money in various currencies is also a great idea, If uh, again, if you're in that position. And uh, one of the reasons why we're doing the Kokomo Fund is it allows people to have a securities account outside of the country. Um, a bank account outside the country, things like that, which, again, just give you increased flexibility if things go a little bit wrong in the, in the country in which you're spending most of your time or the one that you're generally regulated in, which in this case would be Canada. So those are different things that, you know, people can do. Um, and uh, there's no silver bullet, though. Um, there's no perfect recipe. It's going to vary a little bit by I me, mean, by person to person and, and their own flexibility. And uh, so those are those are those are a couple of ideas there, Richard. You mentioned, you know, bailing in and uh, where we are, um, I guess, as, as a we're no longer a depositor, I guess we we become de facto a bank shareholder. So they just take our money. I mean, that seems so inconceivable in this country where our five, I guess, our five major banks, are, you know, heralded as the most stable banking institutions in the world. We have we, we hear about bail ins in places like Cyprus uh, or, you know, I guess possibly and maybe some of the smaller banks uh, in the United States. But here in Canada, is that a is that a distinct possibility? Is it? Remote? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I don't think it's remote. I mean, look, the probability of it at this point, looking uh, looking forward with what we what, what we now know, I, I don't say it's a high probability, but I, I would not put it down as completely, you know, so the probability is being so low, you don't have to think about it. I mean, if you go to the United States, for example, I mean, Citibank, if it wouldn't if that hadn't been bailed out, you would have been in trouble. Um, a lot of banks, uh, Washington Mutual, there was a number of financial institutions I can rattle off in the U.S. in 2008, 2009 that were that were bailed out by the government. If they if, if the current legislation, I mean, after the financial crisis, most of the Western governments put bail in rules in place, then you'd be in trouble in some of the large U.S. banks. In Britain, you had some of the strongest what was, were perceived as the strongest financial businesses around uh, you might remember the Royal Bank of Scotland. It was the fourth largest financial in the world until it became about the eight, 800th financial in the world when it just got eviscerated, um, along with a lot of Barclays. So there was a lot of banks that were really taken down. Some of these banks are still only trading at 20%, if that, of what their highs were back in 2007. So wow. these are the very developed countries. So in Canada, we have had that stability. But as you know, you take that for granted. We've got a lot of consumer debt. The, ultimately, the banks are only as strong as the mortgage debt in the country and the indebtedness of the population. And Canada has the highest level of indebtedness of virtually any country in the world on a personal uh, level. And, of course, Trudeau is trying to catch up on a government level. And so um, don't be complacent. I think people need to think about um, the uh, the safety and what, what kind of risks they have in the banks and just watch it. Be, be on the alert. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners. We'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, continue our discussion. Where is the smart money going and rent or own in this economic environment? We'll address that as well. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show in about three minutes. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in a few minutes, former Clinton political strategist, uh, commentator, New York Times bestselling author of The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. Dick Morris uh, will be here. We'll talk about uh, 87,000 new IRS agents. Many of them will be armed. What does that mean? Who who are they going after? Uh, Right now, we continue uh, our conversation with Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, a very uh, uh, wonderful sponsors here in the program and um, if you had a hundred thousand dollars let's assume it's Canadian because if it's a hundred thousand US you might want to think about the uh, uh, the Kokomo fund which will be unveiled by Rocklink uh-huh. in just a few days uh, incidentally if you wanted to find out more about that Kokomo fund 905 631 
5462-905-631-5462. Uh, more information, go to rocklink.com, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C, rocklink.com. If you had 100,000 Canadian, maybe uh, an inheritance, um, where, do you, where is the smart money going? Where would you put that 100,000? Well, if I were investing in the stock market, um, I would probably focus um, a fair, a, a, a good chunk of that on a couple of sectors. Um, I would look at infrastructure businesses. Um, I look at companies. I say infrastructure. I'm talking about companies that are, you know, core to the economy, uh, physical assets. It could be electric. You know, it could be grids. It could be ports, airports, uh, all, all all of the sort of hard assets that support. It could be pipelines, things like that. I like those businesses because they're necessary. There's scarcity. There's long-term contracts. There's inflation inflation adjustments to often uh, a lot of their uh, their uh, contracts. So that would be one area. The second area I'd look at is I'd have some exposure to leading royalty companies, in other words, finance companies in the silver or gold space, precious metals. I'd be making sure I had some weight there again to hedge and protect against some of the craziness um, in the market, the monetary um, expansion of the money supply, and all the things again that you've talked about on your show. And uh, in that area is particularly cheap right now it's not overly expensive and then i'd be selectively we like to look at some of the technology companies and the reason we like technology is that they are very profitable great margins and they're essential um, and they're basically becoming almost infrastructure so um, those are at least three areas i would be focusing on Um, things that are going to change the world going forward on technology the boring stuff the gold, silver, and uh, and then infrastructure, which can be boring, but amazingly profitable, good dividends, hard assets, long-term contracts. There's other spaces, but I'm just saying just quickly off the top, um, I, I'd certainly be looking in those areas. Uh, when it comes to real estate and uh, and uh, housing, obviously, and a lot of people struggling to uh, to be able to afford a home, uh, but in this economic client, climate, does it make more sense to rent or own a house? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, you do have to run the numbers um, and uh, and the numbers will speak, you know, will give you the, a certain degree of direction. When I say run the numbers. I mean, can you afford it? Is it going to be more than 30 percent of your um, take home pay? I mean, the banks will give you now 40 percent plus plus to allow you to stretch. I think you want to be very careful about stretching anytime you're going into debt. And um, it is preferred to have a home rather than rent in most cases. And certainly over the long haul, it's uh, the land does tend to protect you from uh, inflation over time. And and, uh, so I, I like it right now, though, I think you don't want to stretch. We've had a large uptick in the housing market for an extended period. We're going into a slowdown in the economy. Interest rates are going up. So be very, very cautious. If there was ever a time to just take a breather and rent for six months, a year, year and a half while you wait to see what's going on in the economy, um, this would be the time. Again, again, real estate also is very local. So it depends on you know where you're buying the real estate. But be very careful. I think this is a moment in time where being cautious and patient and not stretching too far can be will be very, very helpful as you look back. And that's again, if you're going to buy buy, be more modest, don't stretch. These these prices are incredibly expensive. Canada is way out of whack with most of the places in the world. And uh, and so I'd be very cautious. Jonathan Wellam, thank you very much for this. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Great. Thank you very much, Richard. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, 905-631-5462, 905-631-5462, info at rocklink.com, info 
at rocklink.com. Rocklink, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. Dick Morris coming up next, talking about uh, 87,000 new IRS agents meant to intimidate, perhaps. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Hoping to connect with former Clinton political strategist, commentator Dick Morris. His uh, new book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. And I wanted to ask him about the 87,000 new IRS agents that are being uh, hired over the course, I guess, of about 10 years. The Biden administration has earmarked $80 billion, $80 billion to hire these. Um, and, and, and they'll be armed. I mean, the, in addition to hiring 87,000 agents, the IRS is also very busy buying up guns and ammunition. Just reading here on WND, Congressional Firebrand, Marjorie Taylor Greene warning Americans uh, that under the Democrats' new tax them all scheme, that these uh, 87,000 agents will be coming after them. She says, and they're buying more guns and ammo. This is in the uh, New York Post. The new army being created by the Democrats' reconciliation bill, which has already been adopted by the Senate, and I not sure if that has been signed yet by Beijing Biden. Now get this, the Joint Committee on Taxation in the U.S., the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is a nonpartisan watchdog, they say up to 90% of the billions in additional taxes the IRS is expected to collect will come from small businesses with incomes of less than $200,000 a year. So this isn't about going after wealthy tax cheats. This is about going after small businesses. Again, with incomes of less than $200,000 per year. Green said on social media, 87,000 IRS agents will be hired with $80 billion taxpayer dollars. Lower to middle income Americans and small businesses will be the primary targets of this new IRS force. And that's what it is. It's a force. It's an army. She continued, this new version of Biden's Build Back Better. (laughs) How about we put it back the way it was? This new version of Biden's Build Back Better, more appropriately named Bring Back Blackouts, uh, be of its insane, foolish, energy-failing agenda, will force Americans literally in the dark. Again, waiting on uh, Dick Morris from, or uh, for uh, a discussion on this, former Clinton political strategist, his new book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. I'd also like to get to Dick Morris's uh, take on this continuing saga, uh, which we we began about a month or a week and a half ago, a week and a half ago when the FBI sent 30 FBI agents and raided Trump's Florida residence, Mar-a-Lago. And uh, word has it now that those three passports that the FBI took, they've now returned those. First, they denied that they had them. 
Then they returned them. And uh, Biden's son, Eric Trump, the president's son, Eric, now says that the video from the Mar-a-Lago security cameras, which were rolling during the nine-hour raid, that'll be released to the public in due time, in due course. I mean, I don't know that it's nece- there's necessarily going to be a smoking gun in this video. I think we all know, you know, that you're going to have FBI agents rifling through Melania's wardrobe. I don't know, will there be some video of Attorney General Merrick Garland trying on some of Melania's dresses, some of her gowns, maybe her uh, stilettos? No, that was uh, FBI Director Herbert Hoover. That's 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 another story. Uh, it, but it is heating up. And even uh, Trump, even Donald Trump is calling for cooler heads to prevail because this seems to be spiraling out of control. Was a um, was it Hardy? There was a a former. Was he in former uh, CIA deputy director or something? Actually said or is calling for Trump to be executed. This is absolutely insane. Who knows where this is leading? But we'll be uh, following it. I can assure you of that. All right. Let's uh, hope that uh, Dick Morris connects with us in the next few minutes and uh, we'll come back and hopefully have that conversation for you on the uh, IRS. Stand by. More of the Richard Sarachow coming your way shortly. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Very happy to report that uh, Dick Morris has uh, joined us. A former Clinton political strategist, commentator, number one New York Times bestselling author. The new one is The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. Dick Morris, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Thank you. Sorry to be late. That's all right. Um, the um, the announcement that, uh, well, this has already been approved by the Senate. I don't know if uh, Biden has signed off on it, but uh, part of this bill, 87,000 new IRS agents. We know that the IRS is also buying weapons. They're buying ammunition. Uh, what's the purpose of this IRS army he's raising? Not to raise revenue. That is a pretext. Uh, it's part of what's going on in this country where the the Democratic Party has abandoned using the electoral process to stop Donald Trump. And they're using the criminal justice process and the uh, tax code to do that. The purpose of the IRS agents is not to raise revenue. They know that multi-billionaires are going to hide their money well deep and that they'll never be able to get it or years from now they might but bodega owners mom and pop stores uber drivers lyft drivers self-employed people they'll go after them with a vengeance and they know they're not going to get much money from them the goal of it is to intimidate them which every which happens in every post-communist country that i've worked in they go up to you and they say hey i don't think you're reporting all your tips for last month or hey i don't think that business deduction you took about that meeting uh, that, that wasn't a business meeting we checked so you have committed a felony you have violated federal law 
but we won't indict you because uh, we understand this could be a genuine mistake. But would you get rid of that Trump sign outside? It's inflammatory or the sticker on your car. And for God's sakes, don't let my boss know that you showed up at a Trump rally because, you know, then I can't hold him back. He might might move against you. And this goes on in every Eastern European country. They don't use the gulag anymore. They use the tax code. And it's of a piece with what's going on in as a result of the Mar-a-Lago raid. That raid was not about archives. Come on, who gives a damn about the archives? I explain all this in my book, The Return. That was about seeking documents so that they could indict Trump for leading an insurrection against the government on January 6th, which is ridiculous, but it's what they're going to try to do. Because when the 14th Amendment was being passed after our Civil War, there were Republican, the, the Confederate states sent senators and congressmen who were former Confederate officials, including the vice president of the Confederacy. So Congress passed the 14th Amendment that said, if you've been involved in a res- insurrection against the American government, you can't hold public office. And the Democrats are determined to say that Trump led an insurrection. And the January 6th hearing didn't give them enough evidence or any evidence. So they raided Mar-a-Lago to go through documents, maybe to plant documents, maybe to create documents. And uh, they and they know that 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 the archives are of little consequence. They had to put something on the search warrant because they can't say I'm going fishing. But. When they, but the, and that's why they won't release the warrant. It's why the raid happened and they told them to turn off the cameras and let no Trump aides oversee it. My book, The Return, is one I wrote for people to understand what we're up against in the U.S., what obstacles we're going to face. Trump will win this election, he'll win the nomination, he'll be elected president. And the Democrats are going to try to stop him using extra legal means, basically weaponizing the judicial system to try to oust him. Just today, uh, his uh, the the financial manager of Trump Enterprises, Barry Weiselberg, was announced he'd plead guilty and cooperate with the government. And they were all hot and bothered. Hey, we can finally get Trump. But that's because Barry took some planes that were paid for by the corporation. He didn't report it as income. What's that got to do with Trump? And uh, they are doing everything they can. Dick Morris is uh, with us and a brand new book is called The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. Uh, Joseph Farah, uh, publisher, editor of WND, uh, writing a piece today, and it may sound preposterous to some people, but Joseph Farah says he is worried for Trump's life. You talked about extra judicial, uh, you know, methods of getting Trump. Is that within the, the, you know, the realm of possibility that's that they might even consider assassination? They might try, uh, but uh, but Trump is very well protected. He has Secret Service, but he also has his own guards. And uh, I live at Trump Tower and my God, they're crawling all over the place. So you can't discount it. But I think what is important for us to focus on is that the Democrats are obsessed with this. They don't just, just see Trump as an opponent. They see him as a mortal threat because he's taking their base away from them. Everybody learns when they step off the boat, or in your case, the bridge. The first thing they learn about America is 
working people vote Democrat and the elites vote Republican. And Trump has flipped that completely. The working class now votes Republican and the Hispanic vote is moving from Democrat to Republican and the millennial vote is moving. He's stealing their base and they'll never recover from that. And that's his sin. And they're doing everything they can to go after him in Fulton County in in Georgia. They steal the election. They fabricate ballots. They let dead people vote. They let people who move vote. The people who we interview and said, did you vote? And they say no, but there's a ballot sitting there. And uh, and then when Giuliani investigates it, he's on the verge of getting indicted. Uh, The world is turned upside down here. It smells like panic on the part of the Dems, uh, just a few months, short months away from the midterm elections. And uh, I guess that'll be kind of a, a litmus test is where we're headed 2024 in the United States. Dick Morris is uh, with us. The return Trump's big 2024 comeback available at uh, Amazon and where all good books are sold. I'm sure, Dick, I hope you come back again. I enjoyed speaking with you. I will. Good, t- good chatting with you. All right, Dick Morris. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jacob and Jody and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.